as family and we're loving on one another and that's what it's all about. So I'm so thrilled that I get to be a part of what is happening here at Stafford County Christian Church. And so this morning we're going to dig into Mark chapter 11. And as we dig into God's word, to see what God is doing. Oh, and, and no move tonight. Are you guys going back to your room? Okay. Youth, you're dismissed. dismissed. No youth tonight because all, most of all of our youth are working with Vacation Bible School. Um, and, and that, again, just is a testament to what we see happening with our youth and the leadership that we see happening. Um, yeah. I'm thrilled to see what they're doing. So, but we are um, in Mark chapter 11. Jesus has started his, his final week of his life. This is the last first day of the week that Jesus is going to have on this earth. And, and in our passage here in Mark chapter 11, this is what is known as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And in order to fully understand the significance of this day, it's important to grasp some of the background details of what has been happening. So two weeks ago, we, we talked about Jesus had, had left the area of Galilee, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is where he did most of his ministry at. He, he lived in this one small town called Capernaum, and it was the home of Peter. It was where many of the disciples were from. Now, they traveled to many different areas and many different regions, and he has done a lot of that traveling. Well, now he has left the Sea of Galilee. He has left the Galilean area. He's traveled about 100 miles south down to the Judean desert. He's went into Jericho, and as he's there in Jericho, he, we talked about two weeks ago that he heals blind Bart. Okay, so Bartimaeus is going to be healed, and this, all of the pilgrims would come, and so as they would pilgrimage into Jerusalem, for Passover, and this is what it was all about. It was all about Passover. The largest feast in, in, in Jewish custom was the Passover. And so all of the, all of the people would travel in. Jerusalem was anywhere from 40,000 people, or around 40,000 people, but during Passover, it could swell to over 250,000 people in this one town. And so they would all pilgrimage. And so Jesus has traveled down into the wilderness. He's went down into Jericho. And now they're going to travel up and they're going to try to get, or they're going to go all the way up to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the triumphal entry as they're working this way. Now, some significance here. Jesus is going to stop through this pilgrimage He's going to stop before he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to make a pit stop. And he's going to go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They live in Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so easy walking distance. They, they could make it there in, in just a couple of hours. They could get to Jerusalem from that area. And Jesus, this whole week, is not going to spend any length of time in Jerusalem and definitely not going to spend the evening in Jerusalem because there are people that are going to be trying to kill Jesus. 
So because of that, he's going to each day travel back and forth from Jerusalem back to Bethany, from Bethany back to Jerusalem, because that's where he's going to say, I mean, really today, um, Jesus stayed at a bed and breakfast. That's what he did. So the bed and breakfast was in Bethany, and then he would travel back and forth. And so as we dig into this, one of the other things that we see is that the Messiah would be enthroned as king where? In Jerusalem. Okay, so as we talk about the triumphal entry, this is something we need to understand is that the king, the Messiah, would be crowned king in Jerusalem. The Old Testament makes it very clear that the king is going to come and going to do his main work in the city of David. Passover was also, as I said, about to begin. Messianic expectations would just resound during these times. It was during Passover that God's people rehearsed uh, the deliverance from a foreign power, Egypt, and they were longing and they were waiting for this same exact thing to happen again, that they would be brought out of Egypt. Well, now the new king is going to come in and going to set up dominance in Jerusalem and was going to free them from Roman captivity. And so that was what they were excited about. So the Messiah is going to be crowned king in Jerusalem. Passover is about to begin. And with all of this hype coming as, as the town starts to swell, we're introduced to another guy that we're going to hear about in a couple of weeks. His name is Pilate. Now, Pilate is the, the governor over this area. Pilate didn't like the Jews. And Pilate didn't like Jerusalem. So Pilate and all of his armies, for the most part, he would leave. Most of the time, they, the Jews kind of just did their thing. okay. But during these feasts, all of the troops would come in because if there was to be an uprising, they were going to quell it immediately. So Pilate, he didn't like living there. He lived, um, that there was a palace that King Herod had um, that was on the Mediterranean Sea. This is where Pilate actually spent most of his time. And, and there was a lot of people that, um, historians that said, well, we don't have any evidence of this guy named Pilate. Well, now there's an inscription, a stone tablet with an inscription of Pilate right there in Caesarea Philippi, there along um, uh, the Mediterranean. We, when we were over there, we got to see that. But during the Passover, Pilate and the Romans, they would flex their military might when anyone would try to rise up against them, and no insurrection would be tolerated. Any talk of a Messiah would not be tolerated, and they had to quell them almost every single year. And so all of this excitement is about to happen. There's holy anticipation. There's high anxiety happening. Kind of sounds a little bit like today, right? And we could see that. High anxiety of everything that is happening today. Well, we have that holy anticipation that one of these days, very soon, our Lord's going to return. And that's what we're looking forward to. And so the, the, the Jews, they were looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And the first thing that we're going to see here is to trust the sovereignty of the Savior. Trust the sovereignty of the Savior. Now, the word sovereignty is often used, but not always understood. Okay, so what does it mean? When we say that the Savior is sovereign, we're saying that he has the absolute right 
and might to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Everything under his rule and control and nothing happens without his direction. Nothing happens without his permission, which means nothing takes him by surprise. Please remember that. Nothing that you do can take God by surprise. You're not going to wake up and decide, I'm, I'm going to go do this. And God goes, wow, I didn't expect Jenny to do that. Wow, really? Like, Scott did that? He sold his Ford and got a Dodge? Like, really? I didn't expect that. Now, we can say that about me. I've been a Chevy man all my life. A year ago, I bought my first Ford. Teresa's comment to me, I never saw the day. You know what God says? I knew it. I knew it. And, and here's the thing. No matter what you do in your life, nothing that you do will ever surprise God. He is sovereign. And he sees all. And he knows all that is happening in your life. So let's get into the scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. It was no accident that Jesus timed everything that happened as he came to Bethany, right as the Passover was about to begin. Now Bethany and Bethpage, they're two small villages, again, just outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is going to spend a lot of his time here. We also read here that they drew near to this area at the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives is very, very significant in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There is tremendous um, significance here. It's where Jesus is going to give the Olivet Discourse. It's where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after his resurrection, this is the spot that Jesus is going to rise into heaven that we read about in Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Moreover, according to Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4, Jesus will land on this mountain. We read this, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. It's from this significant spot that Jesus is going to send out two disciples and he's going to give them very, very specific instructions of what to do. Look at this, verses two and three. Go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Again, the awesome sovereignty of God is on full display. The planned providence is laid out here so specifically. Jesus gives every detail. What village are they gonna go to? The one that's right in front of you. Now that's specific. If I tell one of my kids to go get something and I'll say, hey, it's the one right in front of you. Do you mean the one over there? No, no, no. The one right in front of you. Jesus says, uh, there, there's many villages and he kind of gets behind them and I think he takes their shoulders and he points them and he says, that one right there. You go to that village. Specifically, go to the village in front of you. Where are they gonna go? Immediately. When are they gonna go? Immediately. As you enter into it, what are they going to look for? A colt. Now, what's a colt? A colt is a baby donkey. It is a foal. 
okay? And, and its mother is going to be right there tied with it. We read about that later. What kind of cult? One on which no one has ever sat. What are they supposed to do? Untie it and bring it. You don't just walk up and steal or take someone's donkey, colt, or horse. You just don't do that, okay? You don't just walk up and go, oh, that's nice. I'm just going to take it. You know, you didn't do that back then. I mean, if you stole somebody's horse, it was punishable by death. If you stole somebody's donkey, you could be put to death because you stole their property. Well, what happens if somebody says, what are you, what are you doing? Well, this is what we read. The Lord has need of it. And I'll bring it back here immediately. Now, sure enough, when the disciples do what they're directed by trusting in the sovereignty of Jesus, they didn't even ask any questions. They just went, okay. Obviously, Peter didn't go because Peter asked, would have asked like 20 questions. Okay, so it was two other guys. We don't know which ones, but he sends two disciples, probably not Peter. Now, I'm, that's my version, okay. Um, look at verses four through six. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now, a lot of people go, oh, this is amazing. What an amazing gift. It could have been. And I'm not going to discount that that was the case. But it's more likely, we talked about this back on Palm Sunday, Jesus had already paid for the colt and made arrangements ahead of time. But it shows us that Jesus, God, is in control in everything that we see. Again, there are no surprises with God. Everything is going to be completely laid out. Now, don't miss this. This colt is one that no one has ever sat now, how cool is it that no one has ever sat on this donkey before the Savior has sat on him? In the Old Testament, when an animal was used for sacred purposes, it had to be one that had not already been used for common pro pro uh, purposes. The journey of Jesus to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey also brought back memories of King Solomon's procession in, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 38 through 39. They went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! Now here's another important point. When the disciples were sent to get a colt, Jesus was putting another prophecy into play that we read about in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is what we read. This is 500 years earlier. This is what we read. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they didn't see this one coming. They should have because they had the scripture. But they were expecting this triumphal king to enter in on a white stallion and, and marching and parading in and, and leading an army. Here comes Jesus on a colt, a colt, a foal of a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy. This is who our Savior truly is. 
please remember that. Friends, you can trust him. You can trust Jesus because he has everything worked out. You're worried about your job right now. God's got your back. Everything's figured out, laying right in front of you. Our job is to simply take one step of obedience, one step at a time. We don't have to take some huge, giant leap. Sometimes it just means putting one foot in front of the other. What is Jesus calling you to be obedient to today? What is it in your life that he is putting right in front of you and saying, I just want you to be obedient? Maybe it is giving your life to Jesus for the very first time, surrendering control of your life. For someone here, it it may be that you're being called to go into full-time ministry. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. Maybe he's calling you to serve in one of the many areas. I sent out an email, and if you didn't get that email that I sent out this last week and you want to receive it, let me know, because I want to make sure you get it. Because we have a lot of needs in this church, and we need your, we need your help fulfilling those areas of need, specific needs. And you need you to serve, because when you start serving, you will grow. So you need to find that area that he is calling you to be a part of. What is he calling you to be obedient in here today? While most of us live in the present, some of us are are fearful about the future, and others are are just piled by the past. But what I want to make sure that you understand is that God is an ever-present help for trouble today. But here's the thing, please never forget this, he's got your future covered too. He's here for you today. He's in your presence, but he's also the God of your future and never, ever forget that. While I'm struggling with the problems of today, God is already at work providing solutions for things that I'm gonna face to tomorrow. He's working on situations right now that I haven't even faced yet. He's in my tomorrow. When I'm worried about Sunday afternoon, When I'm concerned about how Vacation Bible School is going to go tonight, he's already thinking about next Sunday. He's already thinking, he he is in my Tuesday. He is in my tomorrow morning when Teresa goes in to have her knee chopped off and a new one put on. That's what goes through my mind. And I've already told her, I'm there for you, I'm going to help you, but don't ask me to change a bandage. Not going to happen. It it would be horrible. But if you didn't know, um, Teresa is having a knee replacement tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. Please pray for her. She says she's not worried. She says she's not scared. She might not be, but I'll tell you what, I am. I'm worried. But you know what? God's got it. God God says, Travis, don't worry about that. I'm already worried about the next situation that's going to come up in your life five years down the road. I've already got your future. He is sovereign. He knows it all. And we can never, ever forget that. Are you worried about next week, next year? God's got you covered. Please never forget that. It would be enough if God simply walked with us through life's events, but 
how he does it is so much more than that. He goes ahead of us, clearing the way, arranging the details of our life. He is already there working. His spirit is working in our lives, and we can never forget that. Are you trusting the sovereignty of God's, God in your life right now today? If you are not, it's time to start because he's got you. Never forget that. Number two, give what's been given to you. Give what's been given to you. Look at verses seven and eight. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread the leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Now, we see these different gifts that are given. The first one that we see here is the colt that has been brought before Jesus. The disciples are told to bring both of them. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, Matthew tells us that the mother also comes. Now, why would you bring the mother of the colt? Probably to keep it from freaking out. Because if nobody sat on it, they bring the mother alongside of it, and that calms the nerves of this foal coming in as well. So we have that laid out right in front of us. You see, we move from getting all that we can to giving all that we can when we fully understand that Jesus is in control. Do you realize that Jesus borrowed a manger? That he taught in a borrowed boat? That he borrowed an upper room to have his last supper? He borrowed a tomb, and now he's borrowing a donkey. We never read anything that Jesus needed. Everything was provided for him. What do you have that you can give to him? I mean, here's the thing. Everything that we have is borrowed anyways. It all belongs to him anyways. What we're called to do is turn it back over to him, and we can never forget that. So this little donkey got to carry the son of David, the king of glory, into Jerusalem, and when Jesus came in, no one noticed the donkey. Did you notice that? No one goes, aw, how cute. No one goes, why did he not come in on a white stallion? Everybody's paying attention to who? Jesus. All eyes are on the Savior. And that's what we see. And what do they do? They give their gifts by taking their cloaks. They take their outward garments and they lay it on the donkey so Jesus could sit on it. And then they take their cloaks and they lay it out. This was like laying out the red carpet before Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem. And then they take these leafy branches, the palm branches, and they lay them out here before Jesus as well. Now, this was a common way to welcome a victorious king when he returned from battle. In, in Judaism, palms represented peace and plenty, and some branches, pun intended, of their religion, palms and revolutionary, and they, they had nationalistic overtones in some of the, the sects of Judaism. Palm branches were also a symbol of joy. They were a symbol of victory and were placed on graves as a sign of eternal life. By laying palm branches on the road, the people were signifying that Jesus is the victorious king. Now, we have to be careful about following the crowd because this same crowd that is 
yelling Hosanna that we're going to talk about. They're laying these palm branches down. It's the same crowd that, that in just a couple of days are going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Be careful getting caught up in the crowd. Don't just rely on your emotions. Rely upon the sovereignty of Jesus. Give your gifts, but make sure you're relying upon the sovereignty of Jesus as well. And that brings me to my final point here today. Worship with all that you have. Don't hold back. Worship the Savior with all that you have. Check out the beginning of verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. Now this is um, a, a responsive chant. Do you remember some of the songs that we used to sing and, and we would, you know, on this side, you know, the, the worship leader would say, you know, say hallelujah. And then this side, I don't even remember some of the songs, but I remember growing up, we would do some of those. And the whole church, you know, we would divide it and, and this would sing a part and then this would sing a part. Like I could bring Rodney up here right now and he could probably bring one to us right now. And do you remember any of those chants? No? Nobody knows those? Not chants. Okay, I'm not, oh my goodness. Yes, thank you. I, my mind went blank, okay? I told you, I'm getting old. Praise ye the Lord. Yes. Yeah, see, you and your dad could come up, or you and Tana could come up and do it right now. We're not going to, but we could do one of those back and forth. That's what's going to happen as we look at verses 9 and 10. So they're giving this shout here, and the word for shout is that of a raven crying out with a clamorous sound. If you've ever heard ravens cry out, I, I mean, they make a great sound. So one group shouted the words found in the last part of verse 9, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now when we break this down, the word for Hosanna, it means save now. It's actually a quotation from Psalm 118, starting in verse 25, it says, save us we pray, O Lord. Hosanna, save us. We pray, O oh Lord. And then when we come, and if you ever just read through Psalm 118, this is the salvation psalm. And then the next phrase that is shouted also comes directly from the psalm, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To come in the name of the Lord means that you see his authority and his representation so they're shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the group in the very back, they would start yelling, verse 10, blessed is the king, blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. The word highest refers to most elevated, loftiest. Psalm 71, verse 19 says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the highest heavens. It's very similar to the multitude of heavenly hosts. Go back to Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is born and the angels show up. What do they cry out? Luke chapter 2 verse 14, glory to God in the highest. So there's this chant that is going back and forth from the front of the group to the back of the group, from the front of the group to the back of the group, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Do we give 
all of our worship before God? Are we holding back? Don't hold back. Express it. Let it out. The scripture says to make a joyful noise. There's many people who say, I, I can't sing. I, I, I could never, like if I were to go on American Idol, I would be one of the people that people laugh at because I don't have a voice. And I know many people that come to church and they don't sing and they don't sing out because they're afraid that somebody's going to make fun of them because they're off pitch or they're off key or they can't sing. Shout it out. Belt it out. You're making a joyful noise before the Lord. And here's the thing. Your noise that you are shouting out before the Lord, it goes before the Lord and he hears it and it is a sweet sound to him. If you've ever been around me standing up here in the front when we're singing before I come on the stage, the youth are like, what is that sound? You know, <laughs> thankfully the Lord says that it is sweet before him. Don't hold back, please. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you, if you want to shout out amen, shout out amen. amen. If you want to clap, clap. Okay, what, what is inside? Don't, please don't hold back. Oh, but what do they think? Because that they may think that um, I'm like Pentecostal or a holy roller, and they may they, they may think, what, what, what if they and and then stop it, let it out. It is the Holy Spirit inside of you that is hearing the voice of God, and and, and you cry it out, let it out. Don't hold back. Let the Lord hear it all. Set the example for your children of how to worship. That is what we have been called to do. Worship with all that you have. Now, as, as, as we bring all of this together, one of the things that we come to an understanding is Jesus, Jesus has now made it into Jerusalem. So he's, he's left the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives sits up here on this side of the hill. He has rode the donkey, they've went down into the Kidron Valley, and then they have come up the other side of the slope, and they've now come into Jerusalem. And they're going to come to the Holy Mount, where the temple is going to be at. And as they come in, it's now time to choose the Lamb. It's now time to make the choice of what's going to happen. Days before Passover, and we are days before Passover, families would choose the lamb that they would sacrifice. They would choose the lamb that they would bring into the house. And here's the amazing thing. They would bring this lamb. They would go and choose the lamb, and they would bring it into their house and treat it like a pet. They would bring it in. They would care for it. And then after they would choose it on Passover, they would take it to the temple to be sacrificed. On Friday evening, it would be slaughtered as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the family. When we see this, Passover is supposed to remind us that the blood is being applied for the sacrifice. The death angel would pass over the homes of those that were in Egypt. And in every year, they would recount 
the Passover. They would recount everything that had happened. If you've never applied the blood of Jesus to your life, you're in huge trouble. And I'm not saying this to be a scare tactic. Oh, oh, I'm going to scare you into salvation. It, It never works. Because if you're scared into salvation at the end of the day, you're going to walk away. It is your choice. But what I want you to understand is you only have two options in this life. You choose the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for all of our sins. Or you do not choose the Lamb. And you spend eternity separated from Him in hell. Those are our only two options. There's no middle ground. There's nowhere in between, well, but, well, but, no, no, no. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we can never forget that. There's one more thing that Jesus does that day, and it's found in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. When Jesus went in, he saw beautiful buildings. When when Jesus went in, he saw just people everywhere. And he saw the money changers. And he looked around everything. And here's the thing. The lamb was standing directly in front of him and people missed it. You're here today. Please don't miss him. Jesus loves you. He went to the cross for you. Sadly, the king entered the temple And they were ignorant to his presence. They didn't know him. As we prepare for communion, I want you to be thinking about the second coming as well. Because I told you that he had your future, but it's also, you have to see it. And that's the most important thing. Because when we look at what's going to happen, Revelation chapter 19, when we see what is going to happen here, when he comes again, no one's going to miss it. But when he returns, it will be too late. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and is righteous. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword on which to strike down the nations, and he will rule. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he has written 
King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back and no one will miss him. But you're here today and I pray that you don't miss him. If you have never accepted the Lord and Savior as your Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is that day. Please don't wait. Oh, Travis, I still got some partying to do. We don't know when our life is going to be demanded of us. And we must be prepared and ready. Don't miss that opportunity. For some of you, he's calling you to be obedient to him in many other ways. Being the leader of your family going into ministry, serving in your church family. Whatever it is that he is calling you today, be obedient. Maybe he's calling you to become a family member right here at Stafford County Christian Church. Say, I want to be a part of what is happening right here. That is what he is calling you to do. Please follow through. We're going to take communion. If you haven't had an opportunity, we have communion on the side tables and in the back. You can go get those and you can come back. And and I'm going to pray for us and You're going to have a few moments before we pray again, or before we go into worship again. But I want you to take the opportunity to just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your son. And if you have a decision to make, I'm going to be in the back, and the elders are going to be in the back with me. We would love to talk to you about what it means to give your life to him. If you need prayer in your life, if you want to become a member here whatever decision you need to make to be obedient to make that decision today let's pray gracious father I am so thankful for all that you do I am so thankful that you have given us the opportunity to come in and to worship you through our praise through hearing the word, through hearing the scripture, by taking of communion to remember the sacrifice of your son for us. Father, each one of us have different tasks, different opportunities that are laid out in front of us in our lives. And Lord, I just ask that you help each single person here today to see that task, to see their calling, and that they will follow through with it in their lives. Lord, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he didn't give up. When he went into Jerusalem, he saw all that was happening. He was disheartened. He was downtrodden, but yet he stayed the course, and he did it for me. And he did it for everyone that is here today as well. Thank you for that gift. We pray all of this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.